Blue Wire. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, coming to you with a guest tonight who has been on the podcast before. He said he wanted to make his case for J.J. Watt, and so we're going to let him do that, and we're also going to talk about a bunch of other things Browns-related. Jordan Climac, Jordan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. The triumphant return. Let's go. I'm here to make my case. <laughs> Browns need to do some things this offseason. Let's go. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go, Henry. How are you doing, man? I'm, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate <laughs> it. We had a lot of fun the first time. We'll have some more fun this time, but uh, I'm doing good, man. Yeah, I'm good too. Uh, a little bit of a, a letdown with the Super Bowl a couple nights ago. Yeah. This podcast will probably drop more towards the middle of the week, but it, I, Patrick Mahomes was running for his life, ran for 498 yards or something in the backfield, uh, was a stat that was brought up. <laughs> and, and absolutely insane statistic. I still can't get over that. And, and yeah, the, the Bucks ultimately went 31 to nine as the final score. It was really never a close. What were your thoughts on that game? Did you have the Bucks winning? Did you see that coming oh, or were you Chiefs all the way? Henry, I did not at all have the Bucks. And in fact, I had I had some a significant amount of we'll call it credits elsewhere. Um, with the Chiefs <laughs> minus three. So not only did the game suck, but I had a rough night, man. I did not see the look. Here's the one thing that I just didn't see at all. Like I I could see the Bucks winning, right? I mean, it's Tom Brady trying to tell myself like mm, like how do you go against Brady but then it's like how do you go against the Chiefs who have won almost 25 games in a row and it was just ah oh, it was uh it was one of those nights man a boring Super Bowl and a rough night for your boy it was uh it was tough like but like I said could you have seen like this was the one outcome that you just couldn't have seen coming right like I did not think in any world that the Bucks were going to beat the Chiefs and uh boy did they do like not not by that Okay, not, like not by that much. Again, I could see it happening, but 31 to 9, man. I I didn't see it coming either. Like you I, could have seen Chiefs 31 to 9, right? Like I could yeah. have seen that. Bucks 31 to 9. Hell no, man. I I I was surprised as well. Uh I I am residing in Illinois currently, so I can happily say that I gambled on the game uh as it's <laughs> okay, yeah, there in you Illinois. Go. Lucky. And uh I I had the Chiefs uh money line. Thankfully, the props actually put me just oh so slightly in the plus for the entire game. I made like 15 different bets. And when you tallied them all up, I, I cleared positive by, by just boy. about <laughs> the, the smallest amount possible. So it was, it was a lot of, of stress for ultimately nothing. But I agree with you. I didn't see it coming at all. I, I, I saw the offensive line problems coming for the Chiefs. Yeah. But I thought they were going to... I assumed Andy Reid, who I'm a huge fan of, Eric Bieniemy, who I'm a huge fan of, were going to have an answer for, for the Bucks front four, you know, with some short passes, with something like that. And instead, they they blocked with just five offensive linemen, like 90% of the time. 90% of the time. And, and, the, and the Bucks didn't blitz, and they just, therefore, just crushed the Chiefs five every time. And, and that was wild to see. And ultimately, I think – the biggest difference in the game was just that matchup, that, that defensive line versus the chiefs offensive line. Yeah. And it's kind of one of those things where I look back on, you know, as you know, making the decision that I already made, it's kind of like, was it too obvious? Like, 
I guess I just overlooked the offensive line issues for the Chiefs and how big of a factor that truly was going to play in the game. Like, I, I just overlooked that, and it sucks to see because, like you said, that just was the difference in the game. You already talked about the, the amount of yards that Patrick Mahomes was running behind the line of scrimmage. Like, it just was. that all. That's all it came down to was the battle up front. The Bucks dominated the Chiefs up front, and, and that was the game, man, the offensive line. It wasn't Remmers. Um, it, was, it was Remmers was the left tackle, right? Yeah, Remmers is the one that he. Who did he get? Like, so this is like his second. He's like the yeah, worst so offensive he, lineman in the history of the Super Bowl or something like that. Yeah, so I believe it was five years ago. Now he he replaced a member of the uh, of the offensive line. Gosh, for who am I thinking of? The Panthers. Did, the Panthers. Yes, thank you. Yeah. And, and Vaughn Miller absolutely tortured him. Yeah, in that that's game. what it was. <laughs> and and unfortunately, he drew a, a, a tough assignment again with the Bucks. Shaq Barrett, Vita Vea, JPP, and, and once again, he was basically a turnstile on the way to the quarterback. And look, there it, it, there are some rough tape cuts of him from the Super Bowl. <laughs> I saw I saw a minute compilation on Twitter uh, of of Mike Remmers just whipping, and it was it was hard. To he was watch. getting abused, man. <laughs> It was hard to watch. And then, you know, the funny thing about that is, like, doesn't that just kind of make you appreciate? Like, I, I thought of this when I was watching that game and how bad the Chiefs' offensive line was playing and how banged up they were and how they just weren't over to, weren't uh, able to overcome that. I thought about the Browns and everything that they've gone through this year on that offensive line. Like, think about the job that Bill Callahan and Kevin Stefanski did when all these guys that went out for the Browns, like, think about it. Jedrick Wills goes down in that first game of that Chiefs game. For the most part, Baker Mayfield was upright that entire game. Like, Chiefs weren't getting too much pressure on him. You think about Blake Hance, Michael Dunn, these guys that have kind of just filled in Chris Hubbard before he got hurt earlier in the year. We, they, we had a makeshift line for most of the year, Henry. Like, we, our offensive line was not healthy for majority of the year. And, and the patchwork that the Browns were able to do puts it into perspective when you see how much the Chiefs struggled with trying to uh, – patch their offensive line together and how they were dominated by the defensive line. Like I really thought that was interesting. And I thought like hats off to Bill Callahan hats off to Kevin Stefanski because it was a hell of a job, man. It's always overlooked and it's, it's such a cliche that it's almost like, it's just not fun to say anymore about how offensive say. line is overlooked. <laughs> oh, the, the most underrated people on the field. Yeah. That's some real sharp analysis. I'm sure the people listening to this podcast have never heard somebody say that we overlooked the offensive line, but it, it is, always a factor that that matters in these big games i think it matters in the biggest college games the biggest programs every time these juggernauts match up against each other like in this game like patrick mahomes i didn't think really played poorly and i didn't think brady no not at all played amazing and like blew him out of the water it was just brady's the trenches brady's team won their defensive line won and their offensive line won and, and so they they controlled the game and it's it's just so many games in the NFL come down to that. And it's part of the reason I think the Browns won 11 games this year is uh, their offensive line was the best unit every single time, pretty much they took the field, even with the injuries. So that it's Bill Callahan's probably the second most important coach to me on the staff right now behind Kevin Stefanski. Oh yeah. 100%. And it's just like the evolution of Wyatt Teller, man. Like that's my guy. Like everything he was able to do this year, how, how crucial he was to the success in the run game. You know, every when we're running those poles off the offensive line, he's picking up linebackers. Just like a lot of our success running the ball came from our guard play from Batonio and Wyatt Teller. And this can't be said enough, but here's the real question. So, like, you brought up Tom Brady, and it's like, 
he didn't really like ball out that hard. And I agree with you that I thought Mahomes still played pretty well. Like, dude, that picture of him like sideways throwing the ball and it hit, I forget who it hit. Was it Pringle that it hit right in the face? Like guys were Daryl Williams, I think. Is that okay? I was gonna say someone, but they dropped a couple of passes. Mahomes was running for his life, he was doing what he could, but do you think Brady really played that well? Like, is it hot to say that? Like, I get he had the three touchdown passes. I think they all came in the first half, actually. But, like, I looking back on that game, I'm not sitting here thinking, like, I mean, he's the GOAT, no question. Like, seven rings, I get that. But, it's like, the Bucks won that game because of defense and the defensive line. Like, it was that simple. Like, Tom Brady didn't come out here and, like, single-handedly take the Bucks to his seventh ring. Like, I put this game more on Tampa's defense and the offensive line struggles that the Chiefs had rather than I do on the on the shoulders of a TB12 down there. I don't know. I don't know how you feel on that, I- but. That's exactly how I feel. It, it, the quarterbacks often get the line share of the credit when things go well and the blame when they don't go well. But in this case, Brady did what he needed to do for sure. He, he dissected the defense nicely. He didn't, he played mistake-free football. He never gave the chiefs that turnover that could have sparked them into a comeback in the second half. He never did any of those things, but it never really completed a deep pass. He never really made a throw where I was floored by what a great throw it was from Tom Brady. Right. His receivers were wide open uh, on the touchdown throws and he hit them, which like, congratulations for that. And his running backs both averaged over five yards a carry. And so they, they never were in like third and 10 in any of those situations either, where he was really forced on his heels. I mean, they were pretty much in, in rhythm all night long. And so he made it look easy. Uh, it, he certainly did what he ha- had to do, but I also wasn't coming away from that game thinking, wow, that was such a great Super Bowl by Tom Brady. I thought he played better in the Eagles game when they lost. It was just his team didn't play as well. Yeah. It's funny. Like, there's just this love fest for Brady this week. And, like, I'm just happy. Look, I, to your point, like, I'm so happy that it wasn't the Patriots playing in the Super Bowl with Tom Brady again because I, I couldn't handle it. I, don't, I honestly don't think I could handle that uh, love fest this week. But, like, yeah, I get he's the GOAT. Seven rings. I get it all. I just – I was just walked away with that game so much more impressed with Tampa's D line than anything, man. Like Shaq Barrett, that dude can ball out. And, and part of it too, I think, is just there's there's nothing really left to say about Brady, right? It's not yeah, like it's, he's, we've seen it all at this point. It's not like he's come up short in these games before, and this was him like overcoming something or anything. It was just like same old, same old. Like he didn't do anything yeah, that Brady. spectacular, but it, same old, same old. Whereas the defense, I think. Look, this Tampa Bay defense has tons of talent on it. Obviously, the front four, they've got two all-pro linebackers, all that. But it wasn't like they they were the steel curtain either throughout the regular season. So to all of a sudden hold the Chiefs to no touchdowns and under 10 points was the bigger surprise. It, It just was. No touchdowns is crazy. Like that. That is insane. I would have never thought that that would even be possible for this Chiefs offense. I honestly thought they were too good. I mean, this is one of the best offenses that I've ever seen. I've seen people say that it's probably the best since or even the closest to like the greatest show on turf with the Rams back in the day. Like I just the fact that they didn't score a touchdown in this game is just mind boggling to me. Like I haven't been able to wrap my head around that. It's just insane to me what they were able to do against the Browns. And just like, oh, it's like we got unlucky, man. Like let's just say what it is. Like you were talking like. Sneed didn't have a good game for the Chiefs, had a good game against the Browns. Like, all these players, it's just like, ah, it's just 
one a couple weeks too late, man. I mean, we we could have been playing in this game. <laughs> yeah, wishful yeah, thinking. I, I but saw, like, I saw a lot. I of can't Browns. help but watch the game, and, and like then like that's that's what I'm thinking. I saw a lot of Browns Twitter that was thinking saying that as well, and I just I I have to as the as the pessimist here, I have to remind. I'm not even that big of a pessimist, but in this case, <laughs> I got to remind Browns Twitter because I saw that like, oh, they should be playing in the Super Bowl. You had Chad Henney in third and fourteen, and yeah, and, and I know. <laughs> like I, I saw so many Browns people being like, oh, we would have beaten the Bills. We'd be here, all that stuff. I was like, well, you know, the backup quarterback did did have third and 14 and you couldn't get him off the field. So like an MJ Stewart, man. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I am so fully optimistic about the Browns going forward. But it's like at the same time, you look at these teams and these rosters. And yes, obviously, the Chiefs offensive line had their injuries in these games, but they're stacked everywhere and i just don't think the browns defensive side of the football was, was quite aligned with either of these teams in terms of their their rosters it, they're, they're just they're better right now and, and one of the main differences too there is like you mentioned earlier two all pros at linebacker levante david and devin white man like where are my, where's my levante david where's where's my devin white like like when is what's the last browns linebacker i, I was thinking about this the other day like who like, can you name a, a dominant Browns like linebacker that can affect a game like Levante David or um, Devin White did? Because I can't think of one. <laughs> like, I mean, there's Dequel. Dequel Jackson. No, see, I was gonna think the same thing. Dequel Jackson, but it's like, but not really. Was Dequel right? Jackson not that guy? He had a hundred <laughs> tackles every year because guys were running the ball six yard for six yards a carry against us. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. Dequel was good, but he wasn't great, and he wasn't this game changing linebacker. And, other than him, I really can't even think of one. I really can't. There is a linebacker from the 01 team. His first name is Jameer. I want to say it's Jameer Taylor. So, Browns fans, if I'm wrong, I apologize. I, I, I can't say I was that old in 2001 to remember his name correctly. <laughs> but people talk about how he was, he was a really dominant linebacker that one season where the Browns went to the playoffs. The problem was he tore his ACL and then was never the same. So that's the only one, but, but for one year. So th that doesn't really count. Yeah. Devin White and Levante David are all pros. And the combination of the two of them in this game was, was really, really incredible. It was a Levante David's ability to cover Travis Kelsey was really impressive. And, and then White was just, he was all over the field. It felt like every play, his speed is insane absolutely insane and, and jordan that leads me i think to our browns conversation because my thing was when i watched that game as far as the browns goes i was like the browns need somebody opposite miles garrett because if they're going to beat the chiefs year in and year out if they're going to beat the bills they have to rush with four and so i was like yes. above linebacker above secondary my biggest super bowl takeaway from the game and i said this on the pod was that now is my number one priority, whether it's free agency or the first pick in the draft. And as you pointed out on the last podcast, and as a lot of Browns fans have pointed out, there is a certain defensive end with, with quite a pedigree yes. in Houston that, as I believe has been spotted in Cleveland at, at some point and has been linked to the Browns in, in some talks. J.J. Watt, of course, is who I'm referring to. Jordan, Make the case for why J.J. Watt should be the Browns' big splash this offseason. Well, to your point, Henry, I mean, it, like, we all just watched the Super Bowl. We just spent the first couple of minutes of this podcast talking about the Super Bowl. The difference in the Super Bowl was the pass rush 
and the ability to get after the quarterback and that quarterback being Patrick Mahomes. Look, like as it's as it's set up right now in the AFC, again, you you just hit on this. It's Kansas City, it's Buffalo, and it's the Browns. Like there is a real chance that the Browns and Chiefs develop like a rivalry, you know, in years going forward, just because that's the team you're gonna have to get through in the AFC if you want to get to that next level. And obviously the Browns are trying to do that. So if you have to, there's one way to beat the Chiefs, really, and that is getting after Patrick Mahomes. And you have to do it, to your point, four guys. I don't want to be blitzing these, you know, these Joe Woods blitzes or anything like that. I need me someone who can command double teams on one side of the ball and on the other side of the end. That'd be Miles Garrett and J.J. Watt. To your point, like, what was the stat? I forget. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but, like, J.J. Watt somehow by, like, percentage of snap was, like, the most double teamed player on defense this year. And like, think about that. Like, you know, there were so many times where Miles Garrett wasn't like really impacting games. And I, I don't mean that in the sense of like, obviously he was impacting games just because he was commanding the double teams. But I, I, there's been a handful of games where Browns fans are, you know, kind of sitting there like, what's more is Miles Garrett? Why, where's Miles Garrett? He needs a sack here. He's like, well, he's being triple teamed. <laughs> like, what do you want him to do? Like the dude is commanding double and triple teams every time the ball is snapped. Now, if you put another guy like J.J. Watt on the other side of the ball, who's commanding, like, who are you going to double team in that? And at that point, you got to go, you got to either pick your poison, one of those guys is going to get free, or you just don't double team them at all. Now, there are a couple of things with J.J. Watt that, you know, I've heard people say, and it's 30 years old. And, like, look, didn't the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just win the Super Bowl? Didn't they just sign a 43 year old quarterback? Didn't they sign 31 year old tight end and Rob Gronkowski? Didn't they sign a 30, what, two or three-year-old wide receiver and Antonio Brown? Like, I don't want to hear this, like, he's 30, it's over the hump. Like, the Browns need veterans. They need people that have been in playoff games. Like, this, we still have one of the youngest rosters in the NFL, Henry. It was The Browns didn't have a single player on offense over the age of 30. Think about that. So, this team is incredibly young. It's time to add veterans to it. J.J. Watt is the perfect veteran to add. I think he could be a good voice in this locker room. I think he'd kind of fit in with the city right away again he's up there in age the other thing is he's making a lot of money i think he's got like i think this year is going to be the final year of his contract it's like a one year 18 million left on that which you can restructure into you know into an extension and you know bring that number down i think that's what the browns would do if they made this move but again it's time for veterans it's time for a defensive end it's time for someone to put alongside miles garrett get after the quarterback Henry, we need this defensive end to go alongside Miles, get after Patrick Holmes, take us to that next level. It's time to address the defense, and it starts right there with my, uh, excuse me, J.J. Watt. It's got to be him. No one else. I don't want to listen to anyone else. Give me J.J. Watt. I need him now. So I, I, I've been a little bit anti-J.J. Watt, but as I've thought about it more and more, Jordan. So, so, why, so why were you anti? Yeah, what, yeah. What so I'll, I'll walk through it. So, so you brought up a, a couple reasons why. Number one, the seventeen and a half million dollars on his contract. Yeah, uh, one year or seventeen and a half million dollars left for his deal. The Browns, uh, Browns fans listening to this may know this, but the Browns are projected to have about twenty million in cap space. It's a little bit variable. People aren't quite sure where the salary cap is going to come in yet, given the fact that it's probably going to decline with the COVID revenue implications and all of that. But that's our best guess right now, and that's the experts best guess. The age factor is to me, not just about age though. It's about the injuries, right? JJ Watt hasn't just aged. He's had season ending injuries that I think are a concern. If you're a Browns fan, 
Now, despite that, I've started to warm up to JJ Watt a little bit. And that's because, first of all, you bring up a great point about his production. If you're looking at raw numbers with JJ Watt, you're looking at, oh, he only had five sacks last year. Well, that, that is misleading because, as you said, he commanded the highest double-team rate of any pass rusher in the NFL last year, like a minimum 50 snaps of, of rushing or something like that, like 23.8%. He was double-teamed as a pass rusher because the Houston Texans didn't have any other threats. Miles Garrett, as uh, you brought up, also in the top five there in, in that statistic. I think Garrett was third. So that can't happen anymore. And if you go look at the PFF numbers as far as – rushes, when he single teamed, how often he wins, et cetera. J.J. Watt fared extremely, extremely well this season. He was fifth among defensive ends. Miles Garrett was third. So you're talking about somebody who, as far as the analytics people go, rate him super, super highly. So that's why I'm warming up to it a little bit. For me, it's just the injuries. We just, I thought Olivier Vernon was reasonably productive this year, but he's injured and he's out. And if the Browns don't have a backup plan. I mean, for, so for me too, my, my thought was I'd rather draft somebody, right. Who's going to be a little bit more on the timeline of this team and who's going to be miles Garrett's duo, you know, partner in crime for the next 10 years, kind of like how the Broncos drafted Bradley Chubb to go with Von Miller. I was like, Oh, that would be really, really sweet. However, as I've continued to do research on the Browns, as I've continued to look at who might be available at number 26, a lot of people are saying there's none of the top DNs are going to be left by that point. And so if that's the case, and I'm talking about defensive end as our number one priority, JJ Watts, the best defensive end on the market right now. And so if he gets cut, yeah. if the Browns could trade for him and do a restructure, I think that's where it gets really appealing. 17 and a half million out of your 20 is a lot, but if it's two years and you reduce that number a little bit, now I'm, now I'm starting to get a tree, Jordan. I think you make a good point. Yes. So here's the thing. So you talked about like he could be cut. We we possibly could have to trade for him. What are you willing to give up? Because that's been another thing on Brown's Twitter and with Brown's fans. Like I'm not willing to give up this. You know, Brown's fans, you know, they love their draft picks. So, you know, don't talk about my precious draft picks. So what in your eyes would be enough like to give up? Because I've thought about, I've thought about a second, a third. I don't know if they would want, like, what would they want? I don't, I don't know what they would want. What do you think we would have to give up to get him? Because I've struggled with that. I, you know, I don't want to give up a first round pick really, because I think again, Oh no. You know, yeah. I, so I, I, don't, I don't know what they're going to want. That's the thing. So just cut him, just cut him. Let us sign him. <laughs> so here's the other challenge with JJ Watt. And the other reason I'm mildly concerned about signing him is I think the pedigree could mean a team does overpay for him, right? But he's not worth the first round pick at his age and with his contract structure. I don't think he's really worth the second or a third round pick, to be honest. Maybe they get a third, but- Here's the thing, aren't we at the point though with the Browns and this young roster and how we've kind of, you know, we're maybe a year ahead of, of where a lot of people had us. Like, isn't it time to just like take a risk, maybe overpay for someone just because you know that there's a possibility that it's gonna get you over the hump? I think we're there. I think it's time to take this risk. I think it's time to maybe overpay for a veteran because again, like I get the whole point of, you know, wanting to draft someone to go alongside Miles Garrett and have them kind of grow together. But like, we're ready to win now. We're ready to win now. Like give me a veteran who we don't have, like who's the veteran voice on the Browns, you know, JC Treader, maybe, you know, there's not a lot of veteran voices. It's a lot of young guys, you know, Baker's vocal. There's a lot of young guys that are, 
lead from a vocal standpoint. Like, let us bring in a veteran like JJ Watt, who I think can be a, you know, a big voice in that locker room. And like, it's just time to take risks. It's time to take a risk like that on a player who's proven. It's time to get a little bit older, get some veterans in here. I, I just think it's time, man. I think it's time to maybe overpay, stop being so concerned. Like I, I, I get going forward because we're going to have to lock up guys like Baker and that address that when we get there. I think it's time to, to make a move now because we weren't that far off of beating the chiefs this year. If you can get better on that defense, we saw what it can do to Patrick Mahomes, man. It is time. Come on, let's go. Another thing I think working in your favor is that Baker Mayfield's still on his rookie contract. And so you have mm-hmm. that window like you're talking about is this is the time. one or two year window. Yeah. Yeah. Before, before he really gets paid. So this would make a lot of sense in, in terms of that. And, and another thing I I've heard some Browns people who were coming from my position say, Oh, well, the Browns could trade up a little bit to get that D end. If they're not going to be there at 26, I wouldn't be surprised if the opposite happens. There's a lot of talk that, that there are no first round safeties, that maybe it's a linebacker for the Browns at 26, if that's the case. Look, this is an analytics focused front office. I'd be yeah, who drafts bit, linebackers in the first round. Yeah, I'd be a little surprised if they drafted a linebacker nah. in the first round. So to me, that could signal a trade back to where they pick up an extra second or third rounder. So if they give up a third rounder to go get a JJ Watt, for example, they make it back up anyway by trading back, you know, into the second round and getting rid of that first round pick. So I, I could see that absolutely happening as well uh, on, on that side of things. I think, as I said, I, at first I was anti JJ Watt. I'm like, come on, he's old, he's expensive. This doesn't make sense with the timeline of the team. But the more I get into it, Jordan, both looking uh, and evaluating his performance and thinking about it from the Browns perspective a little bit more, I, I, I'm coming around to your side. I'm yeah. coming around to and being it- a JJ Watt supporter. And look, I, I hear you on the injuries thing, right? Like, I think it was um, the past couple of years, like he played three games one year, played five games, then eight games. But this year he played all 16. Played all 16 games for the Texans in 2020. Led all NFL defensive linemen with over 1,000 snaps. Like, and he was on the field, I think it was 92% of uh, defensive plays for Houston. Like, he's coming off of a pretty healthy year. Like, I, it's just time. It's time to move the chips over on the table and get this deal done, man. I, I think it needs to be done soon before if he becomes really, really available, other people try and snatch him up. I think it's time to make a move, Henry. I am sorry. As I said, I'm, I'm starting, yeah. I'm starting yeah. to believe you. I, I, I am starting to be swayed by My this case argument, was good <laughs> by this argument more and more. Absolutely. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Uh, another just... Uh, real quick, this isn't one you've necessarily advocated for, but it's another one I've thought about advocating for a little bit of the opposite in terms of JJ Watt, as far as personalities go, but Richard Sherman yeah. has been linked to the Browns a little bit as well with CJ McCollum tweeted at him and some other things. And the reason to me, this makes sense. Again, I don't think there's going to be a corner at 26 that's going to be available. I think it's the second biggest need on the Browns defense, just because corner is so valuable and something I was saying that I actually really liked about the Bucks secondary is even though they aren't the most talented group, they were extremely versatile. One corner is a speed guy. The other is a little bit more physical. They've got a physical safety, a, a one that's better in coverage. And as I look at Richard Sherman, I think he complements Denzel Ward really nicely, where if, if the Browns can't draft somebody that's going to be the long-term answer there, I don't think you can rely on Greedy Williams. So you pick up Richard Sherman for hopefully a, a cheaper deal, and he kind of solves your big physical corner need, especially as you look at guys like Chase Claypool that, that are going to, you know, the Browns are going to be playing those bigger receivers that have given Denzel Ward trouble. I think Richard Sherman could come in and solve that uh, for the Browns this offseason. So he'd be another name that I'm starting to warm up to if the price was right. I like the way you're thinking, my man. Bring those veterans. Give me those veterans. Get a, get a couple of veteran voices in the locker room. No, but like, seriously, looking at it, I mean, Henry, you're not going to have Terrence Mitchell probably next year. I don't see the Browns re-signing him. I don't think you're going to have Kevin Johnson. Uh, it was another one-year deal that the Browns did on that defense. So then you're asking, okay, so who do you have? It's Denzel Ward. Obviously, he's great. Can't say enough good things about him. But then you you know go to the other side, and it's Greedy Williams, giant question mark. Missed games, a handful of games his rookie year. And then when he played, um, he had some good moments. He had some bad moments. It's really just a giant question mark. And then missed this entire year. So what do you have right now? Really, all we know that we have is Denzel Ward. So we're going to have to bring some people in. I, I bet you they do maybe a, a later round corner in the draft, something along those lines. But give me a veteran, a physical cornerback, to your point. Really the perfect fit with Denzel Ward uh, on that defense and you give me an upgrades with Richard Sherman and JJ Watt, and then, you know, still address the linebacker position because we need to address that position as well. Then we're looking at a pretty damn good team going forward, man. Like, whew. I wonder, set up perfectly. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I wonder what the, you know, the Andrew Berry front office, what their approach will be as far as veteran free agency. I think we've seen but some. Here's, of the here's the thing, too, though. We, I, I get that. I've had this conversation with so many people, and it's all like, you know, what do the analytics, analytics say? This is an analytic driven front office. Like, they're, maybe they're probably not going to want to bring in veterans on, you know, with big paydays because, you know, that's not what the analytics say. But like, analytics, when you're losing and trying to lose, like the Browns were for so many years, is a lot different. And when you're trying to win, if that makes sense, like we're, I, I think there are different analytics that go into it when you're a team that's like maybe a player or two away from the, a Super Bowl rather than, you know, you're a team trying to get a top 10 draft pick, if that makes sense. 
For sure. And, and I think there is a little bit of a misnomer too with analytics and football where it's like, oh, that means always young guys. The Bills have a heavy analytics-focused front office and they signed a lot of mid-tier free agents. Their, their point was they were undervalued. And, and so that's the question. Is, is Richard Sherman going to be properly valued and J.J. Watt and all those guys? And where did the Browns value them at? But to me, Denzel Ward also, as great as he is, has had a spotty track record of health. Right. So if, you know, even if you, you bring somebody else in and Greedy Williams is your third guy, that doesn't mean he's not going to play and you need somebody else reliable. And Richard Sherman is certainly not at the peak of his powers. Now he may even slip a little bit more in his mid thirties next year, but you know, he's going to play the scheme correctly. You know, he's going to be big and physical and another thing I like about Richard Sherman, had a little bit of dog in him. And our yeah. offense has some guys like that. I don't know if our defense has quite so many guys like that. And I think they need it. You know, the, you can't back down from the Chiefs and the Bills and these other great teams. And, you know, Landry and Beckham and Baker, I feel like have that on the offensive side. But I feel yeah. like we're missing that on the defense a little bit. Oh, that is that is such a good point, man. I hadn't even really thought about that because, like, who is that mean guy on the defense? Is it Sheldon Richardson, maybe? But, like, he, he stirs it up a little bit, but not to the level of someone that, like, it would be known for that. And then Miles Garrett, he's kind of like that gentle giant. So, yeah, dude, give me – get Richard Sherman in here. Get him to mix it up on that defense. Like you said, bring some dog to this defense because they got to get better. They got to get better. They got to get meaner. They got to get more physical. They got to get quicker. And, like, that's just – Richard Sherman is that perfect voice. Again, I keep talking about the voice in the locker room. He's that perfect guy to, you know, he's not going to let you not be motivated for a, you know, week seven game against someone, you know, he's not that kind of guy. Like that's the perfect guy to bring into this locker room. And like you said, bring some toughness to this defense, man. Well, it's it's the thing that frustrated me the most about our defense this year from a, a, a big picture perspective, you know, without getting into the schemes and stuff is, and, and this yeah, is almost just go. You can't get into the schemes. <laughs> but, it, it, you know, but just as a Browns fan, right? Like, of course, every team has its own style, but I want my Browns teams to be a little bit physical, to be a little bit nasty, right? And especially as the weather gets cold and all of that. Yeah. And as good as this team wasn't as physical as they were on the offensive side of the ball, on defense, there were games, I'm thinking of the Raiders game specifically, but a few others where we got bullied a little bit. And to me, that's just not Cleveland Browns football, right? Like you're a Midwest team that's going to be playing in the cold and the snow. And in December, you know, it's going to be rainy and 40 degrees. And like, I need a team that's got a defense with some toughness in it. And right now I just feel like that's missing. And that can't be measured in the numbers, but it's something I feel like this defense really, really needs if they're going to go and beat a Bills or a Chiefs in late December, early January. It's such a good point. Like the AFC North, like just in general, like that's tough, hard-nosed football, good defense, strong defense. Like we're not going to back down from you. That's exactly what we need. And to your point too, like I just was talking about, there's a good chance that you develop a rivalry with Kansas City over these years and you're playing them in the playoffs for multiple years. Like you're going to have to play in bad conditions. You're going to have to play in cold weather. Buffalo, again, to your point, like bring some dog to this defense, man. We were soft, so soft on defense this year. It's makes me sick. And, and then you talk about those schemes too. Like, I don't even want to get into defense. That defense <laughs> needs, they need to get better in a lot of areas, man. And when they do, like, think about how far we got this year with having that defense kind of be 
like at any point this year where we like, now, you know, our defense really played really well today or like our defense is looking good. Like I think from the start of the year, it was kind of like, whew, hopefully we can survive with this defense. And we did, we won a playoff game with that defense. So if you can get better there, man, sky is the limit for this team it really is. I agree. I agree. I, I had a, a, a different guest on the podcast this year, Ari Ross, and I think he was, he was being a little bit unfair to, to Vernon and Sheldon Richardson, but he basically said the Browns have two players that would start on the best defenses in the NFL. He was basically like Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward are, are the only starters on some of the best defenses on the NFL that you would take from this Browns team. And like, that's the problem. And as I said, I think he was being unfair in, in that regard, but also it, it goes to show that that they have a long way to go on that side of the ball. And as you said, even though they do, they were 11 and five. So, so where could they go if they actually do clean it up? Exactly. Like the fact that we were 11 and five with that and all year we're screaming, like going into the year, we knew we had no linebackers, right? Like going into the year, you knew linebacker was going to be the biggest question mark. And it proved to be that same question mark throughout the year. I mean, B.J. Goodson played, you know, a lot better than I expected. It'll be interesting to see what they do with him because he was another, like, that's the other thing, too. Like, I, I get that the Browns wanted to fix the offense last year, and, and they spent money on that side of the ball, but all these one-year deals of guys to kind of just, like, fill in until you find someone to play that position. I'm talking, like, the Carl Josephs, the B.J. Goodsons, these one-year deals. It's just like Kevin Johnson as well. Like, what did we expect? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like one of those things. And, um uh, patch that up and, and we'll see where we go from here, but have to address the linebacker position as well. And that's the one that's really, really tricky to me because, you know, veteran linebacker, I don't know about signing and, and you draft one, then it's kind of like, you got to wait for them to develop. Um, how much playing time is Taki Taki going to get uh, again this year? How much does Jordan Phillips maybe take a step Matt Wilson, man? What the hell happened to him? <laughs> I mean, it, it was he rough. had a good rookie year. He was brutal this year, man. So I, all of those, I would say probably every position in that linebacking group needs a good solid look at. It really does. Yeah. I like Phillips. I think he's got the speed to play, but he Definitely. was a rookie. And I, my guess, my hunch, I know a ton of mocks have us taking a linebacker in the first round. My hunch is they're going to draft somebody in, in the, like the third round as a I linebacker agree, yeah. and, and plug them into this system and, and ride with the same guys. Uh, other than that, I think they're going to ride with BJ Goodson and Phillips and Taki Taki are young and Mac Wilson's young. Although I don't, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's not on this team next year, to be honest. But I, I think other than that, they're going to ride with the team as constructed uh, in, in the linebacking core, you know, next year, other than maybe a draft pick or two, I would not expect them to sign somebody in free agency there, at least not for any amount of money. They may sign a veteran to a, a minimum deal or something close to it, but that that's all I'd expect. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, I don't, I don't see them cashing out anyone on, on, especially on the defensive side of the ball, like they did to a, you know, an Austin Hooper or, an, or, or Jack Conklin last year. It, it'll be interesting to see what they do. And, but I mean, so far it looks like uh, Andrew Barry has a pretty good record. Um, or track record drafting so far from, I mean, what we saw last year, he did pretty good in that draft. So I have faith in him. I have faith in, in, in him. I have faith in this front office. I have faith in this coaching staff, which is insane. It's just good to be in a position again. Like I think I mentioned it last week, like we're, we're, we're having 
the fact, Henry, the fact that we're having a podcast right now and we're talking about the Browns maybe just needing to get a little bit better at linebacker or maybe get like another edge rusher and not talking about like, well, we still need our quarterback. Well, you know, we have no wide receivers. We don't have a coach. Like to not be doing that podcast, whew, it feels really good. I, I can tell you that much. It's a lot of fun to sit here and talk about, are they going to draft a linebacker or are they going to sign a linebacker? For sure. Absolutely. I've, I've said it several times here before, but not having to worry about the coach and the quarterback is, is amazing. And, you know, uh, speaking of, of coaches, I want to make a little bit of a more somber transition here to end this podcast on a, on a Saturn note, you know, Marty Schottenheimer passed away a Brown's legendary coach through the, out the eighties and really a legendary coach for the NFL in general with some other teams. He was coach of the year for the chargers as well. I saw Justin Herbert say some nice words about him today, but he was the coach for the Browns for five years during the eighties. What, what, you know, with that team in 88 and with the drive and everything, uh, you know, he was a, a staple in, in the Browns in, in lore really in Brown's history. And, and just after, you know, Kevin Stefanski kind of rose to prominence this year, he just won coach of the year and everybody was bringing up Marty Schottenheimer's name again as Kevin Stefanski being the best coach since him for this Browns team. So it's certainly a, a sad day as well for Browns fans out there. Jordan, any thoughts you have uh, on the passing of Marty Schottenheimer? Yeah, you know, I mean, of course, the thoughts and prayers of this whole Schottenheimer family and anyone like affected by this, but, you know, doing, uh, being involved with um, a radio show dedicated to the Cleveland Browns um, on a daily basis, you kind of really get a good feel for, you know, with all the guests that we have on and, and you know, all the history of the Browns, you get a good feel for what Marty Schottenheimer really meant to this city, what he meant to the, the players he coached. You know, we um, heard from Jim Donovan today who, you know, they were telling stories of like this guy, not only was he one of the best coaches of all time, but he was one of the best people of all time. Like this is a guy that would cry in the locker room a lot, you know, talking with players, talking, you know, giving teams speech. Like a lot of the players have said that like he's openly weeped during these things. And like for a young player, they're like, I don't know how to react to that. But then you start to appreciate like this guy cares. He cares about me. He cares about the team, he cares about every, everyone in the room, everything that's going on. And for him, you know, for people to tell stories like that, um, you know, Jim Donovan telling a story about how he, his dad passed and, and Marty approached him, you know, at the Browns facility in a media session and pulled him aside and, and you know, he said, I heard about the news, um, really sorry, like took 15, 20 minutes to talk to him about, you know, Marty lost a parent and, you know, what it meant to lose a parent, like how you deal with that. And, really just a great person from what it sounds like, you know, obviously we weren't alive for the glory years and all Browns fans, you know, my dad, people I work with, you know, uncles, that kind of thing. They all talk about, you know, Marty Schottenheimer was the man. Like he was the, the best Browns coach of all time. Um, AFC, multiple AFC championships under him, uh, went to the playoffs four times, three times, won 10 plus games. And again, the Browns haven't won They've won 10 games in three seasons since he hasn't coached that being in 94, uh, 2007. And uh, of course, uh, you know, this past year. So it's really just, it's a sad day for the Browns, but, you know, I guess, you know, the, the cool thing is, and, and to your point with the Browns, you know, getting a uh, coach of the year this year and Kevin Stefanski is a lot of people have said that they see a lot of Marty Schottenheimer in uh, Kevin Stefanski. So it's, it's good that we have him still kind of living on in that way. 
Well said, well said. He is currently the seventh most winning coach in NFL history, one of seven guys to win 200 games in the NFL. So his pedigree, of course, was fantastic as a coach. And you went through some of his accolades with the Browns as well. But as you said, I think the thing that stands out most to me and stood out most to you as well is, look, we're younger guys in this business. We, we obviously weren't alive for, for those years in the 80s when the Browns were so good. But you hear everybody ha- say good things about him. And although, you know, his family certainly had its imprint on the game af- after, you know, he was done coaching, he, his legacy lasted much longer than his career did. And that's something to certainly be proud of is that not only his legacy on the field, but his legacy as one of the best people in the NFL really was all around Cleveland, even long after he was gone. So certainly a sad day, Uh, as you said, thoughts and prayers with his family. And we just, as I said, we wanted to end this podcast, acknowledge that and you know, talk about how, how we had heard so many good things. And finally, you know, thoughts and prayers to his family. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's just, uh, it's, it's great to, you know, cause the Browns are so, there's so much history with this team, Henry. And, you know, again, you said we're younger guys in this business. Like we've only been arrived for the tough parts. So to, to really see like the older generation of Browns fans and, and kind of just how they're mourning today and, and dealing with this, it, it, it's incredible to see. Cause it just reminds you like, Times are getting better for the Browns and uh, we're going to be a part of it going forward. So it's good to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and he will certainly live on in, in that Browns history for sure. No easy way to transition out of that topic, but, but Jordan, thank you so much again for coming on, for making your case for JJ Watt, for talking yeah. to Richard Sherman, talking about how hearing more Tom Brady goat talk makes you sick because it makes me sick too. It was a blast to have you on and we'll have to do it again here soon. Yeah, man. It's been a lot of fun talking to you, Henry. Uh, Thanks for having me on, man. And uh, glad I could sway you over to the JJ Watt side a little bit, man. (laughs) You convinced me it's not easy to do. I know uh, my family and friends would certainly tell you that I, I am a stubborn one when it comes to, tell my arguments and opinions, especially around the Browns, but, but you swayed me and did a good job at it. So yeah, thanks for coming on and Browns fans. This, this one will be going out to you. As I said, midweek, it was tough watching the Browns not be in the Super Bowl, and we've got a long off season ahead of us. But that being said, it's an exciting off season where we get to dive into all of these topics, you know, that are kind of on the outskirts, like things like, like JJ Watt signings and all that, because we don't have to worry about our coach and quarterback. So hallelujah. We'll be coming with more off season content on this feed starting on Monday, but until then Browns fans, two words for you, go Browns.